Pastor Michael called me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, there's some cool stuff happening in Jackson that the Lord is doing, but he left it at that. He really left it at that. Um, and, and I say all this because on the 10th of October, the Lord gave me this word. The Lord gave me a word way before I knew anything, heard anything, or any of you knew anything. And this is what he said to me, and I'm gonna give this to Pastor Jeff after the third service, but it's, I, the Lord said this to me. This is a house where prodigals will come home. Prodigals will come from all directions and find the Father in this house. The Lord says, look, look to the east. You will see a line of prodigals coming from the east. Welcome them, embrace them, celebrate them. They are coming home, so make room for them. In the story, in the parable, there wasn't one son, but there were two sons. One son left home and one son stayed at home, but both sons were far from the father. God is sending both to you, the wasteful and the regretful, the lost and the loitering, those who have walked away and lost everything, those who are present but are cold in heart, prodigals of all types who are far from the father, but they will come to this house and experience the rich, tender, merciful, kind heart of the father because of the anointing on this house. They will find identity in this house. They will find freedom in this house. They will find restoration in this house. I see this house's anthem being, did you feel the mountains tremble? Because streams, <laughs> streams will wash away all of their brokenness in this house. Again, I had no clue that God was calling this church to expand and go east. I don't think water the city was a thing on October 10th when I was sitting in a hunting blind. I, I don't think that it was. What I do know is that God has something special for this house, very, very special for this house. And I have only been here a few hours. We arrived like late last evening, but I can tell you this, the, amount, the, the level of hospitality of this house and honor that exists within this house is powerful. And where there's honor, there's often miracles. And you guys are gonna see some incredible miracles in this house. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this day that you have made. We choose to rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, I pray that today as we read your word, that it would find good soil. Lord God, that the seed of your word would find good soil and that it would grow and it would be fruitful and that it would multiply, Lord. Lord, we love your word. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that the way that we walked in would not be the way that we walk out, not because we've sang a couple songs and we feel better about ourselves, but Lord, we have encountered your presence. You have spoken to us in and through your word. Lord, we love your word. Lord, the, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word endures forever. And we love your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So for the past couple months, the Lord has had me in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, I don't know why. It does, they, both those books do lend to my personality, my temperament. I'm, I, I say this a lot. I, I'm a confrontational person. I, I like confrontation. I actually think we need to be confronted more, and we need to not run from confrontation. Confrontation done with the right heart, the right spirit, is a very good thing that we all need in our lives, Okay. And, and Ezra and Nehemiah, they confront us with a lot of things. And the Lord has been speaking to me through these books over and over again. And I really, I'm going to be honest, I really wanted to teach a message that the Lord has been building in my heart out of, out of Ezra, I'm sorry, out of Nehemiah chapter 13. And I was excited to teach it. I was really, really excited to teach it. And again, while, lo and behold, while I was in this time a, a tree stand um, just last week, I was praying Lord, bless it. When I say it, I mean bless what I want to teach. Bless it. Bless it, Lord. Bless what I really want to teach in Jackson. And I didn't hear him say no. I didn't hear him say, well, can we talk about this? I heard him say, but I want you to teach on hunger. And I said, okay, you want me to teach on hunger. Well, that's what I'm gonna do because I think you have a better idea of what needs to be taught than I do. So I'm gonna teach on hunger today, but specifically on a theme or a title, if you're more used to that vernacular, the power of few. 
the power of few. And I'm so glad after seeing Pastor Mike's introduction that this is the word that the Lord really communicated for me to teach today about hunger and the power of few. Because whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, whether it's in regards to spiritual hunger or physical hunger, hunger is a big deal. Hunger is a big principle within the kingdom of God. Hunger is a priceless currency, if you will, within the, within the economy of God. Let me go even a step further, because I believe that, that the majority of us, we want to see revival in this land. We want to see God move in powerful ways. We want to see the prodigals come home. We want to see streams washing away the brokenness of Jackson and the surrounding area. We want to see this. And so something we have to understand about this is though, is even though we want to see it, there's a part that we play in it. And, and, and part of it is our hunger because a cheap component to revival is in fact hunger, hunger. So much so, hunger. Hunger is such a big deal that there are colossal promises connected to, fastened to the principle of hunger. To the principle of hunger. Which is important for us to know. Because whether we like this or not, and some of us are just not gonna like it. And like I said, I'm a confrontational person, so you can talk to Pastor Jeff after service if you don't like me, that's great. Okay. It's imperative for us to understand that many of the promises of God, they're conditional. You really need to hear this. There are conditions tied to some of the promises of God, if not many of them. What I mean by this is, many of God's promises are conditioned to our cooperation. Please hear this. They are tied to, connected to, fastened to our cooperation. For example, let me just give you a massive one. Joshua chapter six, write that down, go and look at it later on. I don't have time to, to, to read it out loud and teach through it today, but Joshua chapter six. If we know the history of, of, of the exile, of the big exile, right? We know that they come to a place called Jericho and Jericho's a fortified city, it's massive. They've all locked themselves up in there, why? Because Israel has shown up on their front door and they have got scared. So they're not letting anyone in and nobody is coming out. God tells the people of God, hey, Jericho's yours. How? Look at the walls, we have nothing. Look at the walls, look at how big the fortified city is, look at what's going on. But God gives them a promise, it's yours. It's yours. It's yours. But here's the thing, they first had to do something in order for it to become theirs. So we have a promise and then we have cooperation to the promise. They had to march around the city and they had to do it for six days. And on the seventh day, they had to do it seven times, okay? There was a promise and then there was their cooperation in order for them to get it, okay? Now I know, <laughs> I know that in our safe space, participation trophy, everyone gets a cookie and gets to play world. We don't like this. Like, we don't like it and I get it, I get it. But I have to be honest, it's true. All of this is true, in fact, Throughout scripture, from front to back, we will see this reoccurring principle, this reoccurring theme from, from where it says, Pastor Garrett on the front to bonded leather on the back, okay? We will see this theme that, that teaches us this principle and it has different variations of vernacular, but the principle is this. If you will, God says to us, if you will, then I will. If you will, then I will. Let me show you real quick. Turn to um, 2 Chronicles chapter seven. I'm sure some of you guys are familiar with this. 2 Chronicles chapter seven, starting verse 12. I did not give this to the medium team, so do not panic. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so there is no more rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. What is he saying? When things don't go your way, when the circumstances and situations aren't the ones that you want, when the, when the I don't wanna go here, but I need to. 
When the voting doesn't turn out the way you voted. When things are not the way that you want them to be. Okay? If my people, there's the if, who are called by not my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their, land, forgive their sin and heal their land. What is he saying? If you will, then I will. If you will, then I will. So then in Matthew chapter five, verse six, beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, I know you guys have been in this series. When Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, just so you know, righteousness, there's a lot to it, but the key to righteousness is, here is, it's him. First Corinthians uh, one verse 30 says, he is our righteousness. So blessed are those who, thir- who hunger and thirst for him, for they will be filled. We must understand that to mean that if we will hunger, for God, then he will fill us with himself. He will fill us with more and more and more of himself. We talk about this verse all the time. God will give you the desires of your heart. He will, but here's the thing. The desire of your heart, the more you seek after him, is him. He becomes the desire of your heart. It's not the new fridge. It's not the new car. It's him. The more you seek after him, the more you pursue him and want him and love him, the more and more he gives you of himself. And so he becomes the desire of your heart and he gives you more and more of himself. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for me is what Jesus is saying. I love the way the Amplified translates this. Blessed, which means joyful, nourished by God's goodness, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who actively seek right standing with God. How do we seek right standing with God? Jesus, for they will be completely satisfied, not partially, completely satisfied. Which takes us to something that some of us are not looking forward to, 2023. Can you believe it's 2022 is almost over? It's almost 2023. We are 27 days away. And some of you went, oh no. 27 days away. And I don't know how you start a new year, but like many others, this isn't new, right? Like many others, I like to process the previous year and then set resolutions for the next, if you will. Resolutions, intentional, deliberate decisions to better my life. I'm making room, if you will, to better my life. I'm setting goals of betterment and, and making decisions for betterment in my life. And I don't know if you're like that. I hope you are. I hope you're wanting to better your life. I hope you make space more room to better your life. But as the people of God, how about just one resolution for 2023? How about just one? You ready? Write this down. I really want you to write this down. If you have a phone, write it down on there. If you have paper, write it down on there. Write this down and put it on your fridge, put it on your mirror, put it, put it in your car, put it somewhere where you're gonna see where you're gonna see it a lot, okay? One resolution, and, and please hear me, I mean, do everything else too. Like, do everything else too. You know, lose weight, quit the habit, you know, spend more time with the kids and learn that thing you've always wanted to learn and save money and go to the moon with Elon Musk, I guess. Like, do all of those things, that's great, right? Do all those things too. I don't care what you do, but do this first. Here it is, write this down. Hunger for Jesus. Like, truly hunger for Jesus, like really, 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 really hunger for Jesus. This is the resolution of the church. Hunger for Jesus, want Jesus, actually want him. Actually want Jesus, desire Jesus, seek Jesus. Want him, want him in every area of your life, like never before in this next year, so pray and serve and worship and give and read the word and break bread together in each other's homes, Acts two through four. Read it and begin to live it. I hear this all the time as a pastor. I've been 23 years in this. I wish we would return to being the church like in the church of Acts. I wish we would be, then start acting like the church of Acts. Hello, we just want it to magically happen but there's nothing, there's no, there's no part that I play in the mix. If we want the church to return to the early church, and what we see happening in the early church, maybe we should start acting like the church of Acts acted. 
And those are the things that they did. Those are the things that they did regularly. And what was it? They hungered. So I'm talking about hungering for Jesus to increase in every area of your life. Make room for him to increase. Uh, John 3, verse 30 comes to mind. We say it this way. We say it backwards, by the way. We say, I must decrease so that he may increase. Wrong. Backwards. Very American of us. It's actually, he must increase. Therefore, I must decrease. His increasing is pushing me out. Him filling me up is pushing all of me out. Him filling up my life gets rid of me. It pushes me out. He must increase. Therefore, I must decrease. Please hear me. I'm not talking about hungering for Jesus when everything is bad on Wednesday at work. I'm not talking about just hungering for Jesus when things are perfect in here on Sunday. And we're singing my favorite three or four songs. And the preacher's making me feel really good about myself. I'm talking about every day, day and night, hungering for Jesus. Wanting him, desiring him, seeking him. It said that God came to Solomon at night. Night, representing the darkest moment of his day. He came to him in the, that place and said, if my people, if my people. You know, as a pastor, I kind of worry about the word hunger and the idea of what many of us think it actually means. And I worry because I think some of us might interpret that to mean that to mean go to church more or, you know, be a better person or don't cuss as much, um, stop yelling at the kids, make sure you pray before every meal, snacks too, you know, and every coffee. Make sure it's Christian coffee, by the way, because you can't have anything else but Christian coffee. Um, only, only drink Christian coffee, by the way, because if you don't, sin. Um, you know, here's a big one. Vote Republican. Um, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to step on that idol. My bad. Um, but, but that's not it, right? That, like, when I'm saying hunger for Jesus, that's not it. Yeah, maybe cuss less, like, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, spend more time with your kids. Those are great, but, but that's not it. What, what I'm saying when I say hunger for Jesus, I'm saying make a resolution to hunger for Jesus in 2023. Make a decisive, deliberate decision, an intentional, deliberate effort and aim to seek after him. That's what hungering is. Make no mistake, this word that I believe that God has for us, that he's calling us to, it's not an event or a season. It's a lifestyle. Like King David said in Psalm chapter 63, it's, per, it's a perpetual, incessant, unrelenting longing for him. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. I know we like to make that a Disney scene and all the hunters got excited but it's actually a ravenous scene. It's a scene of a, of a beautiful deer that is foaming out of the mouth just trying to get a drink of water. It doesn't know if it can make it another 20 steps if it doesn't get a drink. Can you imagine if we began living that way for Jesus and not just making it a Disney scene? So it's not just an event. It's a longing to know him and be close to him and touch him and worship him and spend time with him and be filled by him. Be filled by him. And the reality is this. God is calling each and every one of us, each and every one of us, whether we have known him for 20 days or 20 years, to hunger for him in this way. And he has a promise for us. And his promise is this. If you will, then I will. If you will hunger for me, then I will fill you. So again, there it is. The promise of him filling us comes with the condition of us first hungering for him. First we hunger, then he fills. Let's quickly turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. This is where the Lord directed my attention to in the blind that day. I taught this passage many, many times. And, and for some reason, he shouted this at me. He says this in chapter 13. I'm sorry, chapter 14 of Matthew, starting in verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there 
in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowd heard it, they followed him on the foot to the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus replied, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. I hear the voice of the Lord saying to Radiant Church, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Verse 17, they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. We know from John chapter six that it was actually a little boy's leftover lunch from preschool. Um, that's John, John tells us that it came from a little boy, okay? Verse 18, and he said, bring them here to me. And I hear the Lord saying to us, bring it here to me. Bring it to me and watch what I do with it. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, bless, uh, said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples uh, gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. They were all filled. And they took up the 12 baskets full, full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So most scholars believe there were 20,000 people in the crowd that day, including the uh, women and children. God showed me something powerful in our text, and this is where everything that I just said prior leads up to. He showed me something in our text that I've never seen before, and it jumped off of the pages of the Bible when he spoke it to me. And like I said, I've taught this many times. But what he showed me the other day was this. God showed me that there were only a few people who came to Jesus and said they were hungry. Look at verse 15. Only a few people came to Jesus and said they were hungry. And it was actually the disciples who came to Jesus and said they were hungry. No one else came to Jesus and said it. They said it. And we know that the disciples had been, uh, Mark tells us, that Mark and I think it's Luke both tell us that all of the disciples had just gotten done ministering when Jesus took them and, and was trying to get away. They were, they were just ministering and they had not, they had been ministering so much they hadn't had a chance to stop by Dunkin' Donuts and, and get a carbo load, right? Like they hadn't had that chance yet. So they, they, they were the ones who were hungry. Sure, we can assume just by, you know, thinking about it, critical thinking, that everyone else was hungry. It was a long, hot day and the preacher, not this preacher, maybe this preacher, a lot of times this preacher, uh, had been speaking for hours, right? It was long. They were hungry. They were hungry. They traveled to get there. But the text is very, very clear. It says in all of them, Mark 6, Luke 9, John 6, Matthew 14, they all say that of the 20,000 people, 12, only 12, came to Jesus and said, we are hungry, 20,000 people, but 12,000 people, but 20,000 people were there, but only 12 people said we are hungry, and yet the entire multitude got filled. The point is this: when only a few people come to Jesus with their hungry, with their hunger, an entire multitude of people can end up getting filled. Let me say it like this: the hunger of a few can lead to an entire multitude being filled. Oh, 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 oh. In view of Joshua 6, the hunger of a few can lead to an entire city being taken. Oh, oh, oh. In view of, of, of 2 Chronicles 7, the, the hunger of a few can lead to an entire region, region being revived. Oh, in view of giving hope, the hunger of a few can lead to an entire city being watered. You need to hear this. The hunger of a few, not the hunger of the whole region, the hunger of a few in a room on a Sunday morning when you could be watching NFL, when you could be making bacon and eggs, and who doesn't like bacon and eggs? But you're here in this place for a reason. I want you to see today that God has a powerful response to our hunger personally and corporately, regionally and Globally, and I believe that he's saying to us today, if you will, then I will. If you will, then I will. The reality, church, is whether the people of Jackson 
and the surrounding area know it or not. They're empty, they're hurting, they're dying, they're searching and longing and doing anything they possibly can to find some sort of relief from the pain that they are experiencing every ticking second of their lives, only to be left more and more empty every single day with every attempt. And I believe, I believe that even if it's only a few, a few, a few people from a church in Jackson, Michigan, who hunger for God, God can end up filling an entire multitude of people with leftovers to spare. Just in case someone didn't get filled yet. Just in case. Let me say it like this. The power of a few hungry people can lead to a great multitude of people being filled. Are you hungry? Do you want to see them filled? Or is this a private thing for you? Is this a me thing, like everything else? Is this a MySpace? If you don't know what MySpace is, young people, (laughs) it was way before Facebook, okay? And all these other things that you all are doing right now that I don't understand that my 16-year-old and 14-year-old, 13-year-old have to tell me about. Sure, there may be 160,000 people in the surrounding Jackson area. Sure, a very low percentage of that number know God. But my Bible says that from the hunger of 12 people, God filled a great multitude of people. So can you imagine what God can do with an entire church's hunger? With an entire church that hungers for him? Who gather together with their hunger? A church who actually and fully believes if you will, then he will. And because they fully believe it, they faithfully and sacrificially give to water the city. Can you imagine what God can do with that? Can you imagine what he will do with that? You know, in my lifetime, and especially ministry, I've met a lot of Christians and a lot of people who have said things to this degree. I I love God. I, I love God. But I have to be honest, I haven't met a lot of people who truly hunger for God. Truly hunger for God. We, we have a name for those people, and it's sad that we have names like this, but we call them like, you know, the crazy ones. Uh, if you've been around the charismatic church, granola and stuff like that, and I, I can't stand it. It's so demeaning. But I, of those I have met over the course of my ministry, the ones who truly hunger for God, I've learned something. Do you know what I've learned from them? And, and about them, those who truly hunger for God, I, I've learned that it's not that they don't go through things and struggle with things. It's not that they don't have good moments and bad moments alike. It's, it's not that things don't frustrate them and get to them. It's not that they don't get discouraged and disappointed. It's that despite all of the things that happen and despite all of the things that they go through and despite the valley bottoms and despite the rocky roads that life takes them on, they rebound They recover and they rally quickly. But how? How? How do they do that? How in the midst of that, all of the problems and all the pain and all the ups and the down and all of the things that are being said and spoken and all the pressures and all the tension in society right now, all the division, how? How? How do they do that? How do they recover? How do they rebound? How do they rally quickly? I'll tell you, this is what I've learned. This is the only thing that I've been able to put my finger on, and this is how. It's because in the midst of it all, they retain their hunger for God. Their hunger for God does not fluctuate and flutter because of circumstance, because things didn't turn out their way. They wanna take their ball and go home. The circumstances aren't good right now. They lost this and this person said this and this happened and the votes went this way. It's because in the midst of all of that, in the midst of the heavens shutting up, in the midst of the rain not coming down, they continue 
to respond to God's invitation if my people will. Because they believe, they fully believe that if they will, then he will. Then he will. What I'm saying is despite the season, scene, and situation of life, they continue to hunger for God. And others may look at them and think or say, how can they have joy in a time like this? How can they have peace when these are their circumstances? In fact, this is, this is what really gets me mad and makes me want to be Nehemiah every day. Ask my wife. I've heard other, others, like other Christians, say things like, well, it's all fake. It's all fake. Their faith, their hope, their joy. It's not real, it's just a show. It's just a show. Let me be real. To suggest such an idea, not just, it, it's evil. It, it, it's evil. It's slander. Not just toward that person, but toward God. Not to mention it's arrogance. And last time I read my Bible, God resists the proud. He resists. Meaning, no, no, no. And I know we don't like that word. Then maybe we should stop doing what gets the word. What I've learned is it's 100% real. It's real hunger for God. You see, their hunger for God hasn't formed in them a blindness to the seasons and scenes and situations of life but it's just forged in them this assurance, an assurance that, that says despite what season comes and despite what scenes look like and despite the, what the situation says, you know that there are 20,000 people who are hungry and we have a leftover Happy Meal and the kid took the toy. We don't have anything to feed them. We can't do this. The opposition is too great. The obstacles are too hard. We cannot do this. The people who hunger for God, they have this reliance, this dependence, this assurance that, that tells them God is going to do what he says he will do, regardless of how all of it looks. Because if I will, then he will. If I will, then he will. Church, to hunger for God is to have an unrelenting assurance that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11:6. To hunger for God is to have an irrefutable assurance that if I draw near to God, he will draw near to me. James 4, verse eight. Do you see the promise and the cooperation? To hunger for God is to have a stubborn assurance that if I seek God with all my heart, I will find him. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, which was written against horrible, horrible situations. They were in slavery. And he says, but if my people will seek after me with all their heart, they will find me in the midst of all of that. In the midst of all of that. Beloved, Jackson may be a desolate place to a few, but desolate places are powerful locations where God does some of his most incredible works. And I declare today that what a few people call desolate is going to be the very place where God waters many, where he waters many. Amen? Amen. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, again, I pray now that the seeds have been planted, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would water them. Holy Spirit, would you water these seeds? Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and tell us how we are to participate and what our cooperation looks like, knowing that if we will, you will. Lord, we love you. Lord, I, I, I see the revival coming. Like, like the servant of Elijah, who was sent out over and over again to look for the cloud coming, Speaking of the rain that was to come, Lord, I see the cloud off in the distance. 
I see it coming and it's gonna water this land. I see the cloud, I see it. And so Lord, I pray for heavenly showers in Jackson and the surrounding area. Lord, I pray for the showers to bring church unity. Where there has been denominational divide, God, would you unite churches by and through your holy reign that is going to come, that is on its way to Jackson in this area, Lord. Jesus, we love you and we trust you in Jesus' name.